Hello and welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast where you can catch everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. This is, of course, an Overwatch-focused podcast where we discuss the latest news going on in Overwatch, the latest happenings in the Overwatch League, and, of course, we look at the upcoming happenings in the Overwatch League as well. Now, I am recording this on Wednesday, May 6th, and, of course, we've had some rather big news break today. I've talked about it in a couple of my previous episodes, mostly tangentially as things were only rumored at the time. However, now I'm finally going to really cover it as it seems like the whole story has broken wide open. I am, of course, talking about the seeming collapse of the Vancouver Titans, of course, my favorite team. Now, Before we get into all that, we've got some housekeeping to take care of. So, this is, of course, One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast, featuring your host, Sir Dr. JM. You can find me on Twitter, you can find me on Instagram, and you can follow me, of course, and you can send me messages, and I'll be happy to reply and uh, interact with you if uh, you have any suggestions for the show and things like that. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcast Services, on most podcast services, in fact, including Spotify, of course. We are now on Spotify, and that is a big deal. Now then, without further ado, let's dive into the news. And of course, I'm going to tantalize you and tell you that the uh, Vancouver Titans is going to be our feature story of the day, which isn't a thing that I normally do. However, it's something that uh, I'm calling it today. Um, But before that, we've got some... Uh, not quite as exciting news to cover, but uh, news no less. So let's dive in there. Our first story comes from .esports.com, posted on April 29th, and it is by Liz Richardson, and it reads, Crowd control changes hit Overwatch live servers. The article reads like this. After a short testing period on the experimental card, minor changes to stuns, sleeps, and slowing abilities have hit Overwatch's live servers. Heroes like Mei, McCree, and Ana will experience slight nerfs to give more balance to the game. Now, this is breaking from Liz's article. I'm not going to read the whole thing, so go ahead and check it out if you want more. However, um, as Liz points out in her article, all this stuff did come to the experimental card a couple weeks back, and it seems like it was really just a sort of maybe final test run just to see um, if the tweaks they were making were appropriate. They, for the most part, aren't too, too drastic, um, but I'll run through the changes as reported by Liz, um, and you can uh, judge for yourself. So first things first, we have Anna's Sleep Dart, duration lowered from 6 to 5 seconds. I would probably argue that that's one of the bigger changes, because Anna's Sleep Dart, obviously, uh, very useful crowd control, especially for a support character to have. And definitely one of the the stronger uses of Ana, especially in terms of killing a play, interrupting um, an ult or or a rush or something like that. The sleep dart definitely makes a big impact, especially if you can you know interrupt something or or sleep someone and then obviously take advantage of that. And down from six seconds to five seconds is a big deal because that in uh, in terms of Overwatch is quite significant. The second changes we're seeing are for May. Endothermic Blaster, bracket primary fire, freeze stun duration lowered from 1.5 to 1.3 seconds. Blizzard duration lowered from 5 
to 4.25 seconds. So again, not as sweeping a change as Anna's sleep dart. Um, the the freeze gun, uh, freeze stun duration being lowered 0.2 of a second. Not a huge change, but nonetheless should be somewhat noticeable. I think especially when uh, when escaping those piercing headshots that Maze love to pull off after stunning you, after freezing you completely. And then Blizzard duration being lowered from 5 to 4.25 seconds. Again, as you can see, a whole 0.25 seconds less lowering, if that makes sense, than Ana's Sleep Dart. So impactful, but again, I still think Ana is the most impactful. After that, we have McCree's Flashbang stun duration being lowered from 0.85 to 0.7 seconds. Not a huge one, but you'll notice it no less, although I think McCree's stun was always more useful for that quick finisher or that interrupt and then, you know, the, the roll away and, and that kind of thing, just because McCree wasn't typically getting up close and personal with, with too many characters, whereas May definitely is a little more on the front line um, with a few of those more defensive abilities. Moving on from there, we have Reinhardt's Earth Shatter Knockdown duration being lowered from 3 to 2.5 seconds. This one, I'm not actually incredibly sure I agree too much with. I don't necessarily think Earth Shatter needed this. However, you know, if they're making an effort to speed up the game, it makes sense that they would nerf most crowd control um, uh, abilities there. Moving on from there, we have Roadhog's Whole Hog Knockback being increased by 20%. Now this one I actually find interesting, especially because I was playing the game just before recording, and I actually noticed this significantly. I was playing a match on Junkertown against a Roadhog. I was actually playing Mercy, just because I found our team was struggling with without a Mercy. So we, it was just before the final point we were pushing towards it, and Roadhog got his ult and he blasted and I got pushed almost to the roof and I was still being hit by sort of a, a distant uh, choppy spatter kind of thing. I was eventually able to look over to the other side of that sort of uh, pillar, rotating pillar thing in the middle and I was able to uh, glide, use my, my glide ability to get over to May, who was uh, just walking back from respawn. So that actually saved me, but... I noticed almost immediately he hit me with his uh, his whole hog, and it really was blasting me around, pinning me against a wall. And then I managed to get upwards a little bit, and he he focused on me, and it just pushed me right to the roof, kind of thing. So that's that's actually a big one, um, not a nerf, obviously. Well, it depends on the way you look at it, I guess. Um, it definitely can be used as more of a crowd control ability as opposed to more of a damage ability, although it's always done both. With it, with the knockback being increased, it pushes you back almost more than it damages you. So, I digress. Sigma is the final change. Accretion knockdown duration is now a fixed 0.8 seconds instead of scaling with distance. Accretion cast time reduced from 0.75 to 0.65 seconds. So that one, uh, kind of just a balancing change, less a nerf or buff. Um, but uh, the the knockdown duration being fixed at 0.8 seconds for everyone probably a little more fair um, and then the accretion cast time being reduced is just so obviously he can get that off a little a little easier so as i mentioned um, go ahead and take a look at liz's article she actually outlines uh, some changes that were in the experimental card 
that are not making it into the live game, at least not yet. So definitely go check that out. Moving on from there, our second story of the day, or of the week, I suppose, because it's been a while. May 1st, Liz Richardson posts this article, once again at .esports.com. Toronto Defiant Support Kellex retires from professional Overwatch. Now, this is a trend, I feel like, that we're seeing lately, is a lot of players retiring. However, I would also point out that in a lot of ways, uh, many of them seem to be on teams that aren't doing super well. But at the same time, I mean, we do see some that uh, some that are are not in that case. Um, I think Paris had someone retire. I can't quite remember who. Apologies, but uh, regardless, it's becoming a trend that is a little depressing. But again, you know, the age of these players does tend to be typically uh, relatively low, and as they are done a couple years, it seems like people tend to step back, or you know, they aren't getting played as much. And eventually they come to a decision to just call it quits. So I won't read too much of this article. So again, go ahead and give Liz the read because, again, .esports.com and Liz Richardson, everybody's favorite. The Toronto Defiant will be missing some support this weekend. Christian Kellex Keller has retired from professional Overwatch and will leave his position within the Overwatch League, the main support announced today. Kellex joined the Overwatch League as a part of the Boston Uprising, played for the team for two seasons. During the 2019 uh, offseason, he was signed to the Toronto Defiant, with the team shifting to a mostly Western roster. He also played support for Team Denmark in three years of the Overwatch World Cup, his most recent being the 2019 competition. Quote, it wasn't an easy choice to make, Kellex said. After discussing this with my family and closest friends, I know I've made the right decision for myself. Now, beyond that, there's not a ton in there that Kellex says he plans to do or anything like that, um, at least in the future, and at least not for now. But regardless, everyone wishes him all the best, and good luck to Kellex. Moving on from there, next story of the day. Overwatch hero pools will eventually only affect Master, comma, Grandmaster players. Now, this is posted on Dottiesports. Dot com again by of course Liz Richardson again however this information was then reiterated in another announcement article something to that extent I can't find it right now apparently I didn't pull it up but there are changes to the hero pools coming and I will read briefly from this. The Overwatch Hero Pool system is getting a serious overhaul according to a post by Overwatch developer Scott Mercer on the Blizzard forums. After last week's Hero Pools disabled McCree and Widowmaker as a pair for the third time this year while neglecting popular heroes like Reaper and May, fans began to ask questions about the effectiveness of the feature. Apparently, developers agree and want to make some alterations in how that data is used and whose gaming experience is shaped by Hero Pools. For most players, today's most important change is about who will be affected by competitive mode Hero Pools. In the near future, Hero Pools will only be enabled for the Master and Grandmaster ranks of Overwatch's competitive mode. These are the two highest ranks of players who have a skill rating SR of 3500 or more and who are most likely to play team compositions that mimic Overwatch League matches. According to developers, players at ranks below Master are more likely to see diverse choices in their own games without the help of Hero Pools. Now then, reading on a little bit there, they just say that it's coming with the most recent um, 
the most recent incoming patch, which again did, I believe, come out yesterday, uh, causing those changes with uh, with what's his nuts, Roadhog, and all that stuff that I just described. Um, however, this is a relatively big deal um, as someone who you know consistently plays competitive. However, definitely doesn't place master or grandmaster. Um, this will be will be relatively big. It was, I would never say, a huge inconvenience at these lower rankings. Um, you know, having played in bronze, silver, gold, I don't think I've ever placed higher than gold, but having played in all of those, there is, as they mentioned, generally speaking, a wide variety of characters being played. I've never found it restrictive. The only thing I find restrictive about it is I typically, as a support character, will wait for the other support person to choose who they are going to play as. And once they choose, I will base my pick off of that. So oftentimes what I was finding, say, last week with Mercy Ban was someone would pick Lucio, I would go Moira. Someone would pick Moira, I would go Lucio. If I was on Lucio, I might change to Brig occasionally just to try and uh, change things up or suit the, the comp we're playing against. However, that's typically what you saw. I find, generally speaking, I can play... Uh, for the most part, three support characters competently. So if you call that Lucio, Mercy, and Moira, more often than not, I would play one of those. And you know what? Throw Brig in there as well. More often than not, I'd be playing one of those four and then basing my decision around what my teammates choose or uh, what the match seems to need. So based on that, I mean, if you look at the damage characters, you get the whole gamut of damage characters in uh, in these lower rankings. And if you look at uh, tanks, generally speaking, it's based on shield availability or it's based on whatever the fuck your tank wants to play. Because a lot of the time, you end up with two people playing off-tank characters. So you end up with, say, a Zarya and a Diva, and things don't work out too well. Or you end up with say, a diva and a wrecking ball, and you basically have no shields, and that causes problems a lot of the time. So regardless, I think not limiting those lower ranks is a, a, a not a welcome change, but is, is a, a fine change for them to make. And it does make sense that, you know, the whole point in it is to restrict the higher levels of play, including the Overwatch League. And so I totally understand this change. Now, there were a few other changes they make with with this kind of thing. Um, one is they're shifting the data that they're pulling this from to specifically look at the Overwatch League instead of uh, sort of all competitive play and the Overwatch League. So what they actually say here in Liz's article, for the fast, past few weeks, the Hero Pools feature has pulled data from the about the most played heroes from both Overwatch League games and high-level competitive play, likely Master and Grandmaster. While competitive play often mimics the League, quote, there were some significant differences between online hero picks versus the most played hero compositions in Overwatch League, Mercer said, noting that May and Reaper were part of this issue. So that kind of says to me that a part of the reason why we're not seeing May and Reaper getting banned as often as, say, Widowmaker and McCree is because although the Overwatch League was, or most teams in the Overwatch League, were playing a lot of May and Reaper, chances are the overall pool of competitive play was not. And that, obviously, especially with, again, the wide variety of characters and the damage uh, option, definitely would bring down the statistics. So, regardless, that's uh, those are the kind of big changes that are, are coming, or I believe are now in-game um, with respect to hero pools and, uh, and those few other things. But 
exciting stuff nonetheless. Moving on from there. We now have another article from Liz Richardson. It's a Liz-heavy week, it looks like. Yes, it definitely is a Liz-heavy week. May 3rd, Liz Richardson reports, Shields take a hit in Overwatch League's May 4th hero pools. So obviously relating to my previous story that I just read. However, not necessarily applying to you unless you're very high ranking. And if you're very high ranking, I question, why are you listening to this podcast? And if you are, please let me know. And uh, please help me build an audience. Thank you. Moving on. The Overwatch League's Hero Pools selections for the first week of May, chosen again by random draw on the Watchpoint post-show, have removed a few tanky choices from the hero lineup. Now, I'm going to jump over a whole bunch of Liz's article here, so definitely go give her a read if you want to know a little bit more about the play rates and things like that. But in the support category, we have Brigitte will be disabled this week due to Hero Pools, which is a blow for many dive compositions that have been played for the past few weeks. Brigitte I can never remember if it's Brigitte or Brigitta, whatever. Brigitta provides armor for flankers like Tracer, Reaper, and Echo as they rush into the enemy backlines. Without Brigitte, teams may stick with Ana compositions or a speedy Lucio build. Mercy will likely be a must-play alongside Echo. And that's, of course, in relation to the, the armor packs that Brigitta will no longer be able to dole out to Echo. Obviously, with Mercy being able to fly and everything, uh, Mercy will be able to tag along onto your Echo and keep it a little buffed up. Tank. Many teams will have to rush into battle without Reinhardt this week. The Steadfast main tank won't be available this week, which means a likely return to double shield compositions. Now, of course, uh, again, deviating from Liz's article, this typically means we see a lot of Orisa and Sigma. If, if we're literally seeing a double shield comp, uh, comp, comp, sorry, or if we're, you know, a, a, a bunker comp, as it's often called, we typically see Orisa and Sigma being played. And without Reinhardt, again, that typically means we see less D.Va as well, because D.Va really relies on that moving shield to push up and then drop back and push up and drop back kind of thing, poke out, if you will. So, um, you know, we may see some other comps as well. Moving on from there are DPS players that are kicked from the game. We can definitely say is not Echo, so that's good because this was the first time we saw Echo in the Overwatch League, and that was definitely exciting to watch on the weekend, but she did not get picked. The two that did were Reaper and Ash. Reading a little bit here from Liz's article, Ash has seen a wildly increased play rate after the Los Angeles Valiant pioneered her use as a hit, hit scan when McCree and Widowmaker were unavailable. While her ultimate Bob is often hit or miss, Ash is able to crank out consistent damage against aerial enemies. Due to this high play rate, she had more chances to be eliminated through hero pulls and got the unluckiest of draws. Reaper has similarly seen high usage rates, but for a much longer period of time. The shotgun wielder is often run with May to destroy enemies she's frozen and to completely deny space on control points. The loss of Reaper is critical for many teams who often chose him to, over, to take over chokes or tiny spaces. This leaves an entire DPS spot wide open for other heroes like Hanzo for quick shield destruction or even Tracer if necessary. Now, you know, obviously... Um, 
Liz's article here is just speculating about who will be played and everything, as will I. I suspect we won't see a lot of Tracer, actually, just because we're missing those, uh, those armor packs that uh, Brigitta really provides to a Tracer, especially with Tracer being one of the weaker, uh, squishier heroes, if you will. Um, I don't think we'll see a ton of Tracer. Hanzo is a more likely pick because, again, with no Ash... Um, we will we'll see reliance on those ranged heroes. We'll probably see some McCree, although not necessarily a ton. Um, but anyways, I digress. That is all for that article. Now, my final article, uh, final before we get into the nitty-gritty of the Vancouver Titans, uh, actually was posted before that article I just read, so whoops. But regardless, it is posted by Rachel Samples this time on .esports.com again, and it reads like this, Cruise parts ways with Paris Eternal. But wait, he's not retiring. Signs with Toronto Defiant. Toronto Defiant have acquired, has acquired support Harrison Cruz Pond from the Paris Eternal going into Overwatch League's May tournament, the team announced today. Cruz made his Overwatch League debut after signing with the Paris Eternal ahead of Season 2. The support player began competing in 2015, but made his name known after helping Team United Kingdom in their impressive run in the 2018 Overwatch World Cup, where the team placed fourth. Cruz isn't the first support to say goodbye to the Eternal this month. However, flex support Damien Hype Souville retired from professional Overwatch on April 2nd, citing, quote, well-being and health as reasons for stepping down. Similarly, Eternal DPS Jung Xi Kihyo returned to South Korea on April 12th to receive treatment for severe neck pain, although he will rejoin the team at a later date. Now, obviously, I did uh, talk about both of those other moves, retirements, whatever's temporary leaves that they mentioned there. Oh, the article also says Toronto Defiant parted ways with support player of its own prior to today's signing. The team said goodbye to Christian Kellex Keller, who announced his retirement from Overwatch yesterday. Obviously, that's what we covered earlier. So this obviously slots in to replace him nicely. Um, that's obviously on purpose because they lost Kellex, but they're bringing in Cruz now. So welcome to the team, Cruz. Hopefully you're able to turn things around for Toronto, especially after a disappointing showing this past weekend that did nothing but enrage me and make me seriously question my closeted love for Toronto. Although I wouldn't call it love, but I digress. Moving on, our main, what did I call it earlier today? The feature story, something like that. Um, okay, so let me give a tiny bit of background here. I'm not going to go too deep into it because I've, as I mentioned, I've talked about it on, I think, the past two episodes. So long story short, my favorite team is the Vancouver Titans, and we've been slowly watching them fall apart, and not in a competitive sense, in a literal business sense. So what we've been seeing over the past little while, obviously, is um, with the whole COVID-19 pandemic and everything, the players as the whole team was made up of a Korean roster actually asked the organization to go home. The organization said yes and sent them home. Now what's recently come out is that that's seemingly about all the support they provided them. They weren't able to arrange for accommodations for play or team play or anything like that once the teams were back in korea which meant uh for the uh, for the most part they were playing at home home internet home equipment that kind of thing you know i have to assume they maybe sent them you know a pc or something like that at least uh powerful enough to play the game um you know generally speaking if they didn't even have that then they would have been hooped 
However, there's been a ton of drama with uh, lots of rumors about, you know, the team being unhappy with their treatment, um, the team really not being supported by the upper management group. And that's not even the coaches. Um, that is the organization, which I believe is Canucks Sport and Entertainment Group, the same organization that owns the Vancouver Canucks, as well as the Seattle Surge, the Call of Duty League team, and things like that. So anyways, that's a little bit of what I've talked about already in my past episodes is just the discontent that's been going on there. And overall, it's been very sad to see. We've been patiently waiting and watching as everything happens. And then last Friday, of course, it started with head coach and uh, main tank. I can't remember main tank or, or support tank. Um, uh, Ryuji Hong both being officially released from the team. So there were official announcements about both of those two. We then waited all weekend. We didn't hear anything. But of course, the Can the Canucks, the Titans are supposed to play this Saturday, May 9th, and Sunday, May 10th. We were all eagerly anticipating their return, but almost more eagerly, albeit a little sadly, awaiting more announcements of releases of the players. And that all culminated today around i believe 12 o'clock mountain time 12 30 mountain time so anyways i'm gonna read from this espn.com article posted by jacob wolf and emily rand as this was kind of one of the the first things that first articles that really broke about it that said there was also i'm just looking here there was also a quote a letter to our fans posted on titans.overwatchleague.com by Tim Holloway, which it lists here, Blizzard Entertainment. I don't really know why it lists that, because he's actually the esports director of the Aquilini Group, or Aquilini Entertainment, which is the group that, of course, owns the Connect Sports and Entertainment Group, as well as a number of franchises and things like that. So, anywho, I'm going to read this ESPN article, because it actually has some important information about what might still be yet to come that we don't actually know. Hopefully, we will find out more over the next two days, seeing as it's Wednesday night, it's almost Thursday, and again, they play in three days. I mean, if you count it as Thursday when you're listening to this, then they play in two days. Friday, or Thursday, Friday, they play Saturday, they play Sunday. So, let's get to it. Vancouver Titans release majority of roster will sign second win players. The Vancouver Titans released a statement Wednesday announcing the release of all their players, including 2019 Overwatch League Rookie of the Year, Kim Haxall, Hyo Jong. Sources familiar with the team's plans told ESPN that the Titans will sign five players from Contenders Team Second Wind. William Caden Lal, Abton Shredlock, Shervani, Dalton, Dalton, Benny Hoff, Colin Hegan Arai, and Randall Rulf. Stark. They are all they all are over 18 and eligible to compete in the Overwatch League. The remaining three players on second win, Zachary, Iced, Hughes, Benjamin, Ultraviolet, David, and Nicholas Speedily Zhao, are all minors and not eligible to sign Overwatch League contracts. The collapse of the Titans roster came after friction arose from the players and management following the players relocating back to South Korea amid the coronavirus pandemic. Prior to moving back to their home country, the roster lived in Vancouver, British Columbia, starting in January and practiced out of a gaming facility at Adamas Esports Training and Performance at 40th Sport and Health, according to a statement from the team. 
Now, this article actually goes into a lot of the details that were posted in the quote letter to the fans. So I'm just going to read this article, um, but definitely go check out that actual letter because although it doesn't necessarily actually provide us a lot of information, it's interesting to... I don't, I don't want to say see the spin that the organization puts on it, but it is interesting nonetheless. Continuing on with the article. Upon the rise of the COVID-19 pandemic and an increase of cases in Canada in March, the players asked Titans ownership Aquilini Entertainment to return to South Korea and ask that was granted. However, Aquilini management told players they would not be able to obtain a team house lease or find a similar facility to Adamas in South Korea amid the pandemic and informed players they would need to compete and practice from home. Once in South Korea, several players encountered technical difficulties and then boycotted practice and implied they would not compete for the Titans in official Overwatch League games. The Overwatch League began to investigate the issue, eventually moving the Titans games back to May 9th and 10th and relocating the team to the Pacific Division. Titans management and players, however, could not resolve their differences, leading to the eventual release of the majority of the players and the Titans organization looking for a new roster. Quote, our initial plan for the team was to join the Asia division and continue to play the new schedule from the comfort of players' homes, but it was quickly apparent that this created a whole new set of challenges, Aquilini Entertainment Esports Director Tim Holloway said in a statement. Quote, the time difference made it difficult for management and the home base home fan base to connect with the team, and technical challenges for the players playing from home further exasperated the situation. Quote, with the organization unable to meet the players' expectations in Korea, and after much deliberation and conversation with the players, the difficult decision was made to move the team back to North America, back to the North American division, and both the players and management agreed that finding a new home for the players would be in everyone's best interest. The Titans have only played four series in the 2020 Overwatch League season and currently sit at a 2-2 two two record overall. Last year in the organization's rookie season, the Vancouver Titans started with a record-breaking 19-series winning streak, culminating in the Stage 1 title and a Stage 2 finals appearance. They won the Pacific Division title and had the best record in the league for all of 2019 at 23-3. The Titans took second overall after, a lo after losing in the Season 2 grand finales to the San Francisco Shock in Philadelphia in September. Prior to competing in the Overwatch League, the majority of the Titans roster competed in Tier 2 Overwatch competitions in South Korea as Runaway, a team led and financed by the couple of then-player Daehoon Runner Yoon and YouTuber and content creator Lee Flowervin Hyuna. Runaway was one of Overwatch's most successful teams outside of the Overwatch League in 2018, leading to the Titans, who were founded after Vancouver Canucks ownership the Aquilini family purchased into the league in late 2018 recruiting the players now like i said i'm not going to read through the whole uh letter to the fans that they wrote because to be honest with you it makes me kind of angry they seem to place a lot of the blame on the players and i don't necessarily think that's fair however they do list the exact players that are being let go and although it is the whole roster i'm just going to read it quickly here the following player slash staff has have since agreed to mutually part ways with the team. Hyujong Haksal Kim, Minsu Somansu So, Songjun Slime Kim, Chunghee Stitch Lee, Jusek Twilight Lee, Jehong Rujehong Yu, Yangwon Yangwon Kwan Coach, 
Jaehong Adante Huang coach. The team has also released Chan Hyang Fisher bike. So that is what happened with our Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Canucks, good God. Our Vancouver Titans. Now, obviously, um, as Titans fans, we are all very sad to see them go. As uh, fans of the league, we're sad to see them go. And of course, I'm sure the players and coaching staff are very sad to see that this is how it all turned out. Um, if you look online, most of the outrage and things that we're seeing are definitely directed towards the upper management of the team. And that, that I don't mean the coaches, I mean the ownership group again, that Aquilini Connect Sport and Entertainment Group. Now, whether or not that's all true, you know, whether or not that's all warranted is hard to say because a lot of what we're hearing is just, oh, players have said this, oh, an inside source says this, that kind of thing. But so it's hard to say if all this is true, but at the same time, when you hear this kind of thing from so many sources, it does definitely lend credence to the rumors. So what I'd like to say is that, first of all, um, I feel personally very bad for all of the players. It is really awful that they had to go through this, and especially that they had to experience this as not only their their sort of interaction with the league, but their interaction with that particular, if you want to, part of the world. I, I don't want to say all of Canada, and certainly I don't think they would be like, oh, I hate Vancouver. But obviously it does leave a, a bad taste in your mouth. You know, you have a bad experience somewhere, you don't necessarily want to go back there, and that's that's too bad. The, the big issue here that we see is, and I've been reading just a ton of articles and a ton of tweets and things all about this, and the, the really sad part is that when, when this team was brought over to the Overwatch League, they were really brought over um, in sort of an unprecedented way because they were so successful in the Contenders League. And I, I was reading one article that was saying they actually at one point, one of them, I'm not sure who it was, but actually commented that, um, you know, they were playing at a higher level of play than everyone else. And obviously they came over to the Overwatch League. And I mean, hey, in their rookie, in their inaugural season, they dominated um, at the very least the stage one. If not, you could say, you could definitely say they dominated the whole season even though they ended up placing second. But the big thing that hurts the most, I think, in terms of what most people are saying, is the players, obviously. Having been on Runaway for so long and playing together for so long, it is really a shame that they were brought over in this way and treated seemingly so bad, and obviously it all imploded, and now there's a good chance that most of them will never play together again. Now, there are obviously a few question marks this still raises, one of them being what happens to the players who are released from here. Um, many of them have actually been tweeting out that they're now free agents. So there was a bit of a rumor going around that maybe they weren't actually allowed to sign with another team for the season. Now, while that may still be true, seeing all the players tweet out that they're free agents does, you know, lend to the idea that they can get, in fact, make a jump at this point. Um, a few of them have actually reported that they're not necessarily retiring, but they want to take a step back and take a bit of a break after all of this, which is understandable, seeing as their life has been up in the air for the past, you know, call it two months, really. Another question that this poses, though, 
is what the hell happens to the Vancouver Titans this weekend when they are supposed to be playing on Saturday and Sunday. Now, this is actually why I brought up the ESPN article, and that's because this is the only article that I've actually found that is reporting that they're signing uh, the majority of that second win team. Now, obviously, it's hard to say when only one source is reporting it, but, I mean, ESPN is pretty reputable, and on top of that... um, it sounds like they maybe have a little bit of insider information there. So it does sound like that's going to be the reality. I personally have never really watched or or even, even tried to watch any contenders stuff. So it's really hard for me to say how I feel about that. However, you know, again, rumors and speculation. Looking into some of the players, I heard some not so great things about some of them in terms of their behavior and things like that. Um, you know, there's obviously something to be said about forgiving someone for their past mistakes. But hey... Who knows? I I couldn't actually find something confirming what exactly happened, so I I don't want to talk about that because I'm not knowledgeable on that. That said, um, you know, obviously we wish all of the players and staff that have been let go because of all this all the best, and honestly, I look forward to seeing where they land. Um, It's really... It is really too bad because those of us who did give the team a chance, I think kind of felt like we were behind this group of players and they seemed like a really likable fun-loving group even though you know i don't necessarily speak korean and so there's there is a barrier there um and that's obviously where a big part of the problems came in um one article that i was reading was actually talking a lot about how a part of the big problem was that they were brought over from this runaway team in in contenders korea which was beloved by fans which had a huge fan base when they brought them over they wanted to kind of reinvent themselves and they didn't really put anything into it they didn't really try to market them or anything and i think that definitely shows um i actually i started following a couple different organizations like uh, toronto defiant the los angeles gladiators um, even san francisco shock they all have pretty great uh, content pipelines where they're always uh, talking about their players and and doing you know behind the scenes stuff and things like that. New York XL had to do a great job of that too. And one of this this article that I was reading was basically saying, you know, you had this group of people that were really beloved by their fan base. You brought them over to an entirely new world, and you made next to no effort to build them up. And because of that, they kind of got this reputation of, hey, we're the big bad team. Nobody really knows us, but we're dominating everyone. And that's a part of where the problem was, is that, you know, basically the organization seemed to say, just go win, and we're not really going to do much else for you. And so, obviously, that these are all factors in, in what happened here. Do I think this is strictly COVID-related? No, I do not. I think COVID was a large catalyst in it. I think what we probably would have seen is um, especially, well, mostly dependent on their performance this season. I think we probably would have seen some rebuilding at the end of this season. I think, you know, if they continued to do well, if they continued to stay in that sort of top upper echelon of teams, I think we probably would have seen them mostly stick it through. But then I think in the offseason, we probably would have seen some changes coming. Um, And then, you know, a more slow but a disintegration nonetheless of the old runaway team. Because of this uh, COVID situation and everything, because of the disconnect, obviously, between the Canadian management and and the Korean uh, player and coaching staff, um, obviously, I think this COVID-19 stuff just really accelerated all of this. So anyways, that's all I'm going to say on that for now. 
as I mentioned, all the best to all the players. Um, we will miss them. I'm very excited, and I know lots of us are very excited to see where they land and to see what the new Vancouver Titans look like. Um, I'll give them a shot and see if I like their personalities, see if I can be a fan of them, see if anything changes. It is hard right now to to honestly say I'm going to continue being a fan because of everything going around about how poorly they were treated. But as I mentioned, what it really comes down to to me is the players. If if the players are, you know, a good group of guys and you can you feel like you can get behind them and you know in in a way if the organization makes an effort to help us get to know them then maybe i will continue to support them for now i've got my vancouver titans hat on while recording i've got my vancouver titans hoodie up in the closet that i used to pull out for you know almost every game or or a couple days before just to you know wish them good luck and everything but hey you know a lot of the fan base is looking for a new team to cheer for now Moving on from there, this is the part of the show where I go into the Owl Recap. Now, my Owl Recap, I normally look at each and every game from the past week's games, and I'll kind of give a bit of a breakdown. I honestly, this past weekend, didn't get a chance to watch many of the games. Um, I, In a lot of ways, I had sort of had them on in the background, so I kind of caught things, but I just had a lot of stuff going on. Um, and obviously I don't typically catch the, uh, the Asian region games just because they're at obscene hours of the night for me, but that said, I'll, I'll touch on them and I'll quickly recap everyone. Um, I'm not going to go too in depth on them just because again, this is week two of a really long news segment. Um, obviously, and this relates to the Vancouver Titans, but that's obviously why. So moving on <clears throat> our first game. <clears throat> Saturday, May 2nd was the Gangzhou Charge against the Seoul Dynasty. Exciting to see Seoul back in action, but Seoul actually had a pretty bad weekend. Um, again, I, I actually didn't catch any of these games. I did put on the New York versus Shanghai game because I was really excited to see how that one was going to turn out um, and watched a bit of the, the replay of it. However, before I get to that, Gangzhou Charge versus Seoul Dynasty. Gangzhou came out 3-0. and um, By the looks of it, not completely, but pretty well decimating Seoul. So on map one, Ilios, we had the Gangzhou Charge beating Seoul Dynasty 2-0. Map two was Hollywood, where the Gangzhou Charge took it 1-0. and And map three was Hanamura, where the Gangzhou Charge again took it 1-0. and So what does that say about that match? Uh, really interesting, actually. Obviously, Gangzhou kind of steamrolled them in uh, on Ilios, taking both points, um, not even giving Seoul one. But then Hollywood and Hanamura is actually quite interesting because obviously Seoul was able to mount a really good defense on Hollywood, actually, and on Hanamura because they were able to fend off Gangzhou from getting a second point on either of those maps. The problem obviously was on Seoul's attack, Hangzhou was able to mount a better defense, right? Or Gangzhou, sorry. So, you know, anyways, interesting stuff. But Seoul lost that game which was a little bit shocking at the time. Um, but hey, it happens, right? And it'll happen to them again shortly. Just wait here. Now then, second game on Saturday, May 2nd, was the New York Excelsior against the Shanghai Dragons. Now, this one went right to map five, with the first round going the way of New York on Li Zhang Tower, 2-0. The second map on Eichenwald going to New York, 
by way of 4 to 3. And then, of course, things were looking great for New York. Looked like they might sweep Shanghai. But Shanghai came back with a vengeance and completed the reverse sweep, taking Volskaya 3 to 2, taking Rialto 2 to 1, and finally Busan 2 and 0. Oh. Obviously, that would have been a really exciting game for both teams. Disappointing for New York to see Shanghai come back like that, but a great start for New York. And obviously, we're looking forward to seeing New York play Shanghai again, being that they are both definitely two of the top teams up there, I believe, with Philadelphia. So, exciting stuff. Moving on from there, the first uh, normal time for me game that I was able to watch was the Dallas Fuel against the Washington Justice. And I actually did watch most of this game. Um, so here we saw map one going to Dallas 2-0, map two going to Dallas 3-1, and and map three going to Dallas uh, on Paris 2-1. And so that, of course, meant that Dallas 3-0 and to the Washington Justice. Now, not a huge surprise to anyone, I'm sure, um, just being that, you know, Dallas, after returning to play, has looked quite good. They looked really strong when they played San Francisco. I can't remember if that was last weekend or the weekend before. But regardless, they looked really strong. They looked really tight. They operate as a unit. And Washington obviously has not. Washington has really been struggling, sitting currently at 19th with a record of 2-9. and nine, Whereas Dallas actually went from, I think, mid-teens. And they're now tied for 9th place with 4-4. Four and four, Tied with the Paris Eternal and the Seoul Dynasty. So Dallas looking good. Um, definitely exciting to see them climbing the the ladder, if you will. And of course, I'm yeah, I'm debating them being a new team that I cheer for. However, problem with cheering for them is they're going to be hard for me to get to, being being I'm in the Calgary area in Alberta. But regardless, we'll we'll talk about that later. Moving on from there, we saw that Los Angeles Valiant play against the Atlanta Reign. Now, of course. Um, I think a lot of people probably would have uh, given the edge on this one to Atlanta, being that Atlanta is in a much better position than the Los Angeles Valiant. Currently, Atlanta sits 8th, and the Valiant sits 16th, but the Valiant came out and seemingly surprised, I would say most people, taking it 3-2. to two. Map 1 went to the Atlanta Reign on Lijiang Tower 2-1. to one. Map 2 went to the Atlanta Reign 4-3 to three on Hollywood. Map 3 then went to the Los Angeles Valiant, Hanamura 3-2. Map 4 was Dorado, which also went to the Los Angeles Valiant 3-2. And Map 5 was Busan, and the Los Angeles Valiant took it 2-0. So again, another reverse sweep, this time by the Los Angeles Valiant. So big win for them. Uh, definitely a big deal, proving themselves against a team like Atlanta, who had been doing quite well so far. Atlanta currently sitting 4-4. Four and four. Los Angeles Valiant sitting three and six. So, you know, obviously Los Angeles Valiant have a little ways to go if they want to really climb the rankings, get into that top 10. However, Atlanta sitting in eighth, um, you know, kind of right on the edge of that, of falling out of the top 10 there. Um, there's a lot of teams in that sort of, not quite, but sort of 4-4 range, or, you know, give or take one on either side. And Atlanta is now one of them. If they had won that game, they would have been five and three, which would have put them somewhere around 6th, uh, but, you know, currently sitting in 8th because of that loss. Moving on from there, the final game on Saturday, May 2nd, was the Houston Outlaws against the San Francisco Shock. And, of course, not a super surprising outcome. 
However, you know, again, could have been like the Los Angeles game that I just mentioned. But not a super surprising outcome. Right now, San Francisco is sitting in fourth with six and two. And Houston Outlaws are sitting in 17th with four and eight. Obviously, that does account for this this loss. But it went 3-0 and to the San Francisco Shock. Um, the interesting part is actually map three, which wasn't the winning map. It was actually on Paris, and they man- uh, Houston managed to force a draw, causing it to go to map four on Rialto, where San Francisco beat them 3-1 to there. Um, I won't talk about the other maps because who cares. But the interesting part was Houston really struggled on the first control point, um, that first map, which was Oasis. Um, San Francisco took it 2-0. and They took it easily. And then map two on Numbani, they took it again relatively easily, 3-0. and But they but Houston did seem to be fighting back a little more at that point. Almost uh, like they kind of tightened the screws. Maybe maybe they had a pep talk at, after after those two matches or something. Um, you know, whatever they did, it worked. They really pulled in the reins. And then they managed to force a draw on map three. So Houston did start to seem like they were turning a corner. Um, but then obviously, ultimately, it didn't end up paying off completely because in Rialto, San Francisco took it three to one. So interesting stuff because like I say, it looked like Houston might be pulling something out of their hat, but ultimately they just couldn't bring it all together in the end. Moving on from there, first game Sunday morning, early, early, early morning for me was the Seoul Dynasty against the Hangzhou Spark. And again, Seoul loses three and O crazy stuff, two, three and O sweeps. Um, that Seoul lost this week. So Hangzhou took map one, Busan, two to one. Map two went to Hangzhou, one and oh on Eichenwald. And map three, of course, Volskaya went to Hangzhou, two and one. So again, you know, not big points being put up here. Obviously, on the control map, uh, Seoul managed to get one point, so forced that to three rounds, which good for them, because that's better than they did against uh, the Gangzhou charge. However, looking at Eichenwald, it was again 1-0. Looking at Volskaya, 2-1. So Seoul definitely looking um, fairly good on the defense, seemingly anyways. However, for whatever reason, their their attacks just aren't mounting to much. And because of that, they are actually one of our, actually our only big loser this weekend. So normally when I'm done going through these games, I will pick a big winner and a big loser. Typically speaking, it's whoever, it's, not typically speaking, every time. Well, no, that's not true. Okay, anyways, typically speaking, it's a team or teams that played more than one match and won them all, or won more than one match. And then the big loser is teams that played more than one match and lost more than one match. So this weekend, the only teams that did both of those things were the Seoul Dynasty and the New York XL. And as we'll see in our next match, which was the New York Excelsior against the Chengdu Hunters, New York took it 3-1. to one. Oh, oh, look at that. My bad. I was wrong about New York. I thought New York was a big winner this weekend. Looks like we had no big winners this weekend. Unfortunately, New York lost against the Shanghai Dragons. They won their second match, but normally I don't point them out. So there you go. We only had a big loser this weekend, and it was the Seoul Dynasty. So whoop whoop. Moving on from there, New York Excelsior took on the Chengdu Hunters, and it went to New York 3-1. to The first round went to the Chengdu Hunters 2-0 and on control, which was Nepal. The assault map went to New York, three to two on Numbani. Uh, we had another draw on Paris with a record of four and four, 
And finally, Route 66 went to New York, 1-0 against the Chengdu Hunters. So overall, New York took it 3-1. to So, you know, a good weekend for New York nonetheless. Really close game against Shanghai. Too bad they couldn't clinch it in the, in the end there. Um, but uh, ultimately taking the win over Chengdu, not too shabby for them, puts them in third place with a record of 8-2. and two, So good for them. Moving on from there, the first game at a reasonable hour for me on Sunday was the Philadelphia Fusion against the Paris Eternal. Now, I believe Paris and Philly have actually played each other recently, and I think it did go the way of Philly, although Paris came really close. This one went to Philly 3-2, and yet again, it was a relatively close game. So, looking at map 1, it went the way of Philly on Oasis, 2-0. Map 2 on Numbani went the way of Philly, 1-0. But then map 3 on Volskaya went to Paris, 3-2. And map 4 on Route 66 again went to Paris, 3-2. So Paris looking like they might complete the reverse sweep, just like so many other teams this past weekend. However, Philadelphia manages to come up clutch and take it 2-0 on map 5, which was Nepal. So I did catch some of that game. Um, It was an interesting one. It's always fun to watch... Well, right now, it's always fun to watch Philadelphia because they're looking so strong and so tight. Um, Philadelphia obviously is sitting in first place in the league with a record of 10-1. and And where do I find the Paris Eternal? Paris, with that lost loss, dropped to ninth place, tied with the Dallas Fuel and Seoul Dynasty. So again, you know, Dallas sitting in ninth with four and four, Paris sitting in ninth with five and five, Seoul sitting in ninth with three and three, forcing my Vancouver Titans into twelfth with two and two. But I digress. Um, all those teams tied for ninth place right now. Moving on from there, we once again saw the Florida Mayhem take on the Boston Uprising, and yet again I was pleasantly not su- not surprised because I mean really Florida should win this game and they did. Um, they took it three and zero, oh, but I I was. I don't know. I was pleasantly satisfied with this outcome because right now I'm really liking and I'm really enjoying Florida. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but I think they've they've really reinvented themselves this season, and I have a lot of respect for them. Um, I also have a lot of respect for some of their staff that has been tweeting about the Vancouver Titans drama and everything going on there, but I'm not going to get into that right now. So map one was Busan went to Florida 2-0. Map two was Hollywood went to Florida 4-3, and map three was Hanamura, which went to Florida as well, 3-2. Boston really struggling right now. Obviously, we know they literally only have six players, so that's not a great situation for them to be in. Um, their record is one and nine, putting them in last place. Um, you know, only one win separating them from the Washington Justice in 19th with a record of two and nine. However, I don't necessarily see them pulling up that win anytime soon because Boston is really struggling. Moving on from there, final match of the weekend was the Toronto Defiant against Los Angeles Gladiators. And as I alluded to earlier, the Los Angeles Gladiators came out on top 3-1 to against Toronto. And boo-hoo, man, Toronto not picking up wins where I really think they should be. That said, I mean, Los Angeles Gladiators are looking relatively good right now, sitting in 6th place with a record of 4-3. and However, again, they lose one game. They're at 4-4. Four and four. They're also tied for ninth. Uh, tied for 8th, ninth, that kind of thing. So, anyways, the match went like this. 
Toronto takes the first round on Lijiang Tower, 2-0. Toronto coming out strong, looking great, looking like they might, I don't know, sweep or at least put up a fight. But unfortunately, Eichenwald goes to the Gladiators, 3-1. Paris goes to the Gladiators, 2-1. And finally, Rialto goes to the Gladiators, 3-0. So Toronto, again, fades to the background and falls to 15th place with a record of 4-6. and six. Um, You know, further digging themselves into that hole of the bottom 10 or, you know, even bottom 5 if you want to. So a disappointing outcome there. Now then, that was it for this past weekend's matches. Um, exciting stuff in a lot of ways. However, I want to get to this upcoming weekend because this one will be real exciting. So let's look at week 14 in the Overwatch League in a segment I like to call Owl Flying at you. So our first game this upcoming weekend, Saturday, May 9th at 2 a.m., Mountain Daylight Time. The Shanghai Dragons take on the Seoul Dynasty. Now, a match that we previously were looking forward to a couple weekends back. I think Shanghai is going to once again show their strength and come out on top of that one. Uh, the next game, also on May 9th at 4 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time, is the Chengdu Hunters against the returning London Spitfire. So exciting stuff getting to see London return after they um, previously had mentioned they wouldn't be playing again until May, and they were right. But they, having also having, similar to the Vancouver Titans, a largely Korean roster, if not entirely Korean roster, had to relocate back to South Korea. However, they obviously did something right because they were able to do it without collapsing the entire team. Regardless, currently sitting in fifth place with a record of 3-2, and two, they obviously have far fewer games played than most teams right now. The only other team with less games played than them is the Vancouver Titans, of course. So... Uh, exciting to see the London Spitfire return to play. They also have a quite young team, so it'll be really interesting to see them play, especially against a team like Chengdu. Now, again, I haven't watched a ton of the Asian coverage. However, I have been hearing a lot about Chengdu in particular, because from what I hear, they play some unique comps. They don't necessarily seem to be sticking to any meta, and they seem to be surprising a lot of teams with, uh, with how they play. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there, because perhaps two evenly matched teams, even though the, the standings right now definitely don't show that. But I digress. Could be exciting. Moving on from there, at 6 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time on Saturday, May 9th, the Gangs Out Charge take on the New York Excelsior. Now, I just want to double check. Oh, yes, last weekend New York played Chengdu. So exciting stuff there. You know, always fun to see New York play. Um, but ultimately, I think that's going to go the way of New York. Moving on from there, the Paris Eternal taking on the Los Angeles Gladiators at 1 p.m. Los Angeles Gladiators sitting in 6th, Paris Eternal sitting in ninth. So if Paris wins this game, they... I'm not even sure how the standings really work. They will jump a few places. If Los Angeles loses, though, they will drop down again to that sort of 8-9 range. So a lot of teams sort of falling there right now, but obviously with a lot of games being played this weekend... It's going to be interesting to see where things end up. Ultimately, I would probably say Paris, of all teams, seems to be one that is either on or off. So I'm really curious to see how that match turns out. I really don't know who I would pick as a winner. Moving on from there, 3 p.m. Saturday, May 9th, the Washington Justice, the 19th place team, takes on what 
we all assume at this point, we don't know, but what we assume will be an entirely new Vancouver Titans roster. Currently, they have no roster because they haven't announced anything yet. But obviously, they've got Thursday, they've got Friday. They better announce something. We better hear, uh, honestly, tomorrow, we better hear what their freaking roster is. Or there's going to be a lot of upset people because they're playing at 3 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time on Saturday. And not to mention, they're playing against the Washington Justice. This for any team, and sorry Washington Justice fans, but this for any team should be an easy win. If Vancouver cannot manage to pull out this win, and granted, if they have an entirely new roster, there will be nerves, um, you know, there will be a lot of teams that are not used to playing in this environment, or a lot of players that are not used to playing in this environment, although it's not like these guys are necessarily rookies. They're new, they're not necessarily rookies, so hopefully they can come out with a win there. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing that game, mostly to see what the hell that new Vancouver Titans team looks like. Moving on from there, Saturday, May 9th at 5 p.m., we have the Houston Outlaws taking on the Atlanta Reign. Now, Houston, again, really struggling to get wins lately. The Atlanta Reign looking significantly better um, in comparison. So my edge would probably go to Atlanta, but I'm not too invested in that one. So moving on. We then have at 7 p.m. the Los Angeles Valiant taking on the Boston Uprising. Now, Los Angeles Valiant currently sitting in 16th place. Boston, obviously, as I mentioned, sitting in 20th in la dead last place. However, the Valiant, obviously, coming up with some surprises. Um, as I mentioned, this past week, they managed to pull out a win against the Atlanta Reign, a team that was previously looking quite good. So, I mean, I'm going to give it to the Los Angeles Valiant because mostly because they're playing against Boston. But hey, I'm just saying, the underdog can, can surprise us sometimes. Moving on from there, Sunday, May 10th, my sister's birthday and also Mother's Day. Wish your mother a happy Mother's Day. Don't forget to get her something. Moving on from there, 2 a.m. on Sunday, we have the Hangzhou Spark facing off against the Shanghai Dragons. Shanghai's going to take that no question in my mind. 4 a.m. on Sunday, we have the London Spitfire taking on the Gangzhou Charge. So again, another another exciting and interesting matchup for London. If London was playing against Shanghai or even New York, I would probably say something like, yikes. But being that they're playing sort of the, right now, lower ranking teams, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Moving on from there, the first reasonable time game for me to watch is the Dallas Fuel taking on the Philadelphia Fusion. So Dallas... Definitely facing a tough schedule lately. They took on San Francisco recently, sitting in fourth, and now they're taking on Philadelphia, sitting in first. I personally really hope Dallas puts on a good show here. If they can win against the Philadelphia Fusion, that'll be a major shakeup, and that'll be super, super exciting to see. Obviously, they couldn't win against San the San Francisco Shock this past game when they played them, but fingers crossed they at least have a really strong showing against Philly. Moving on from there, we have a game that is going to disappoint me because the Toronto Defender are taking on the San Francisco Shock, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say San Francisco loses yet again, um, you know, to my dismay. However, I'm falling less and less in love with San F with Toronto, sorry, and more and more just becoming a fan of Surefour um, and Agilities. So, anyways, I digress. Moving on from there, final game of the weekend is a bit of a, a heartbreaker for me because it's the Florida Mayhem against the Vancouver Titans, and of course, as we all know, um, you know, I'm a a, a heartbroken maybe fan of the Vancouver Titans right now again it'll largely depend on what happens on well not largely depend on what happens on Saturday it'll be really interesting to see what happens on Saturday and then also to see what happens on Sunday with the Vancouver Titans but 
being that one of the teams I'm debating, you know, being a, a, a invested fan of is the Florida Mayhem. So right now, I really don't know who I want to win that game. Um, ultimately, both the games that Vancouver is playing are going to be, you know, heavily scrutinized, we'll say. I'm sure there will be a lot of eyes on those games watching to see what San Francisco or what Vancouver's new roster can do. So that is what week 14 looks like in the Overwatch League. And with that, that's the end of my show. So I'm going to close it out again. Another long episode, another exciting episode, lots to talk about, lots of news, lots of drama. And this time I'm going to end the show by saying we wish all of our former Vancouver Titans the best of luck in the future. And hopefully they all land on their feet and hopefully they all continue on to go wherever they want, um, whether that be Overwatch League or maybe Valorant or even just retiring from competitive esports altogether. Hopefully this doesn't sour their their experience completely in that, in that sense. Um, but regardless, we wish them all the best and I'm very sad to see them go. And of course, this was One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast, where we cover everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. You can find me, your host, at Sir Dr. JM. That is Sir DRJM on Twitter and Instagram. Please follow me. Please send me messages. Please talk to me. Please, I'm lonely. And you can get this podcast on all your podcast services out there, namely Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the like. Closing it out, have a good week everyone.